at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Another episode of Troy News is an absolute podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, John Casillo, and with me today, we have Matt on the line. Yes. Hello? Matt, you there, bud? I am here. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we got Matt McCluskey on the, uh, the illustrious Troy News is an absolute podcast for the first time in a while. Uh, yeah, how you been? Good, good. I've uh, I've missed being on, but I've certainly enjoyed listening to you and uh, the fellows, either be it John, uh, uh, Dan, or Jared, or whomever. It's certainly been a fun listen. Those are regular listeners. I hope you are uh, enjoying what should be better audio quality. Shelled out for a uh, USB mic, so we. Uh, we are we're moving into the future of technology. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. So I guess let's hop right to it and see, uh, see who else kind of hops in. Um, obviously, Syracuse decided to give themselves a, uh, a one-year postseason ban effective this year. Uh, this season was kind of a lost cause, so that's led to a lot of consternation and hot takes and, and, and all that from around the college basketball world and beyond. Uh, Matt, I guess just kind of walk us through your initial reaction. Was it disappointment? Was it uh, kind of bargaining? I guess, like, what was your your first take when this happened? You know, it's interesting for as much as I'm on Twitter and Facebook and everyone else is, you know, I think now, I actually didn't even know it broke until I received a phone call from somebody, which is weird. It was probably 20 minutes after the news broke, which now it feels like that's two or three years later. But in in hearing it, I definitely was not surprised. I think we've all known there's been a million rumors floating around about what penalty Syracuse is looking at and how Syracuse was supposedly bargaining with the NCAA and all. You know, none of this was, was, you know, out out of the world craziness. But... Having said all that, looking at the time frame and trying to read whatever tea leaves may be out there, it it did seem, and I think it still does seem, like somewhat of a gamble to me to actually go out and say, all right, it's February, it's late in the season, it's not even mid-season, it's late in the season now, and to throw to the NCAA 
hey, you know, we're we're trying to make this great example. We understand the, the levity, the seriousness of this. So we'll eliminate a postseason. And it, a lot of people have said, maybe rightfully, maybe maybe not so much, that Syracuse is, is taking the easy way out here. But I don't know if any of us can truly rule out that this is a gamble because the NCAA does not make guarantees. It does not make deals, as far as we all know. So I don't know. I, I would assume SU has done its due diligence. I'm sure it's worked with whomever it needs to work with to understand. You know, I, I'm sure the NCAA knows what was coming before it was coming out last night. But having said that, I don't think there's any guarantee that Syracuse won't face a further sanction of an NCAA tournament ban just because it took it out last night. So I guess, um, you know, you, you hit on a, a, like a lot of the uh, the high points that everyone was kind of bouncing around. But do you see this as sort of a, a plea bargain of sorts? I know Jay Billis kind of hinted at that, that there's just no way Syracuse did this without the NCAA's input. And basically do this, Walk, you know, walk through the the hellfire and shame of a couple of days of conversation, and then we all kind of move on. Um, do you think that was the case? Do you really think that that this was a bit of a dice roll on on the part of Syracuse, and that you know we we really might see uh, more come from this, and, and that this could turn into not just a lost season, but but really a, a major black eye for the program. I don't see – it's such – it's so interesting. It, it really is. It's fascinating to me what's happening. I think given that Syracuse not only took away the possibility of the NCAA or NIT, but also took away the conference tournament, I mean, that is a huge blow to any program. That is a big deal. The black eye, whatever cliche you could put on it, it's, that is a big deal. So I think that says two things. One, it shows that Syracuse is looking at some serious infractions. That's a big deal to take that away. And then I think it also shows that Syracuse is, in fact, taking this seriously. And I, I think, you know, I think you've said this, uh, you know, on Twitter and certainly in our, our inside feed with the, the website that I, I can't imagine Syracuse would do that without the understanding, whether it be wink-wink or whatever, that the NCAA will not hit another NCAA tournament ban after this year. I think everybody involved has to... I, just, I, I can't imagine the administration is saying, yeah, let's do this without any guidance from somebody somewhere. So I think that's the case. I think it's very likely. But at the same time, it's like, man, this is kind of unprecedented. We've seen schools, and I know Southern Miss did that this year as well, but that's a little different case. We have seen schools do self-imposed bans earlier, but typically it happens before the season starts. We're into February, so... It's just it's it's weird. I, I hate to say it like that, but it's just simply weird. But I do think ultimately the NCAA, you know, Syracuse kind of just has talked to somebody and and gotten the reassurance that if you do this now, it will help. Whether or not that you know whatever that means, I guess we don't know. But I would assume that there was some understanding that this is a big enough deal, and you're taking such a big enough drastic move that it will alleviate something. And I, I have to believe that now. Otherwise, it just doesn't make any sense. And SU has had some issues in the past with not making sense at different levels of administration. But, uh, you know, to not have a guarantee or at least an understanding would be huge. I mean, that would just be the, the dumbest move possible. I mean, I, I definitely agree with all that. I think that, 
you know, when it comes to Syracuse, sometimes I think that, that we make moves without thinking. Other times I think everything's incredibly calculated and thus looks almost overthought. In this case, I just don't, I just don't get how we could potentially have done this without any input. I mean, there's so some very interesting and, and I think spot on points about 2012. Um, you know, banning Fab Mello from the postseason and pretty much ourselves, you know, taking a hit. Do you think that that, that factored in here? Do you think that if the NCAA decides, you know, all it is is maybe a couple of lost scholarships that that we just kind of go from there and, and, and take our take our lumps this year. Like, what happens in terms of, I, I guess in general, like, do you think that, that that 2012 had a factor here? And, and do you think that if the, for some reason, this was a Hail Mary by Syracuse um, and kind of, a, you know, a big F off to the NCAA, do you think that, that, we could potentially see even worse things come down the pike. I think it was kind of a Hail Mary in the sense that the Syracuse was sick of waiting. And, you know, again, I do think they had an inside understanding of what was happening. I think they asked the NCAA for some kind of guidance somewhere. And, you know, before they got, they decided to do this measure. But I do think there is, it's a a gamble of, of some sort, no matter what. But if you look back through, you know, as you said, taking Fab Mello out when he was initially suspended in that 12, uh, 2011-12 season and then taking him out before the NCAA tournament, that was proactive, or maybe not proactive, but at least good enough reactive to get it done. Uh, Sutherland, during his time the following year, he missed time right away instantly. And even furthermore, it's been reported at least through Syracuse.com that Syracuse has implemented changes within the administration as well. So I think, from all understanding, SU has been very cooperative throughout this, whatever it is now, three-year investigation. So if you throw all of that on top of kind of falling, you know, on the sword, so to speak, and taking this postseason ban, I think it will eventually look better for Syracuse. And and I, I don't know if we can... It would, I'd be surprised if we don't have some type of scholarship losses, uh, if Syracuse isn't looking at, you know, if it's parceled out or if it's right away, whatever it is. I think something like that has to come. And, and maybe even as you impose that, we don't know the full detail, I guess, of that. But in terms of, you know, major hammer down, I don't think that will happen now because of how Syracuse has cooperated all the way through and then, of course, taking this this fall on Wednesday with, with a postseason ban. I think all of that factored in be as bad. But it is interesting because had Syracuse not done this and had Syracuse not fully cooperated and changed things, you know, throughout the last couple of years internally, I, you know, I, I don't know if it would be death penalty worthy, but Syracuse would be looking at something really bad if it didn't cooperate, if it kind of chose the USC route and acted like nothing was wrong. Syracuse would be in an awful lot of trouble, even more so than, than a postseason ban or you know whatever else comes down. Agreed. And I uh, wanted to welcome Sean to the podcast. Nice of you to What's join. Up, guys? I, I didn't know if anything was going on. You know, nothing going on in Syracuse land these days. So just <laughs> wanted to say hi. Talking about pro bowling, Sean. So I thought we'd get your thoughts on, on the PBA. Well, uh, you know... <laughs> Syracuse needs 
more pro bowling, especially in March oh. this year, to make up Hot for take. <laughs> to make up for the lack of basketball. Sayhan's <laughs> putting hot takes on the Super Bowl right now on the radio. <laughs> I, I love, typical Bayheim, like five days later, <laughs> chiming in with the most obvious uh, take possible. Man, that Marshawn Lynch. I heard he was good. What do you guys think? Buy my book. Although Bayheim kind of dropped a, a little nugget. He said uh, he went ahead and said he expects McCullough to come back now. He he didn't say he is coming back. He expects, which makes me wonder: is he saying that because he honestly expects that, or is he like trying to nudge that into happening? It feels as though that's one of those classic Bayheimian moves. So yeah, I'll throw this out there and we'll see what happens. Well, it almost becomes you know it it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy almost that you know Bayheim sets the agenda where. You know, Chris, you're coming back. And then if he decides that he's not, then he then he can control the storyline. It becomes Chris McCullough defies Jim Beheim to draft anyway. Although Beheim doesn't look too good about uh, saying that about Jeremy Grant at this point. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean obviously, he's going to stick to his guns no matter what. But, uh, you know, maybe one day he'll learn. Probably not. I mean, will. at least one of us could make the Sixers. So. That's kind of the key takeaway for me. Like, and just like we've said about Tyler, you know, Tyler was just drafted by the wrong team with the wrong personnel. Wrong team. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if he was on the Knicks, he'd be starting right now, and we'd probably be saying the same things we're saying about Grant. Meanwhile, Grant, because he's on a team that was engineered to be the worst team ever, yet isn't. You know, he he gets those minutes. And what I love about Grant is if you look at him, if you watch him play or even just look at him, he's so much bigger and on the court he's so much better. And you know how he got that way? Because now basketball is full time for him. For some reason, everyone thinks you have to stay to get better or to get more physically fit. And the truth is when you go pro, you will have nothing more than time to get better, to work in the gym and do everything else you need to do. So I think Grant is just a perfect example of if you if you are ready, if you truly will be in the NBA, then it doesn't really matter. Just go pro because you'll have plenty of time to, to apply your trade. He didn't come here to play school, John. <laughs> oh, Cardale, if you do nothing else, you gave us that. So apologies, I'm coming in late on the convo, but, um, you know, uh, as far as the the ban, I uh, catch me up on what we were talking about. Well, what we were saying, I think, is, is that neither Matt nor I uh, thinks that Syracuse has done this without the NCAA's input in some way, shape, or form. I mean, it would just be absolutely astounding, especially given all the reports that say, um, you know, SU's been extremely cooperative and everything else. This, I mean, in some ways, it is a Hail Mary, of course, but the two of us seem to be agreeing that, that there's no way the NCAA wasn't involved. And I think for the most part, uh, I mean, Sean, you're probably in the same boat, right? As far as the the NCAA knows about this and is... Yeah, like, and, and very much knew beforehand that we were, that we were doing this. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like for all the... For, all, for for the people who seem to be hoping that Syracuse did this on their own for whatever, as like a chess move... Um, I, I just can't imagine. There's too much money on the table. There's there's too much uh, 
you know, there, there's too many moving parts for Syracuse to kind of just do this on their own. I think, um, you know, because I, they just wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do this and X out all that money and screw up the AC, you know, screw with the ACC tournament and all that stuff on the chance that they might get the postseason ban next year too. And then like, well, this was a waste of, we didn't have to do this. I, I just don't see them doing that. Right. I, I think, you know, on top of that, like what we're seeing right now um, is, is your typical internet hot take culture. And I think we've all said it before. I think we said it during the Bernie Klein situation. We said it during some other, just the typical Syracuse nonsense that always happens where one person says something then everyone starts reacting to the takes and has takes on takes. And, and I think that that's where we're at right now. And I, at the same time though, I understand the perception issue here. And I think a lot of the UConn bloggers in particular were, were incredibly aggravated yesterday. And, and I'll be honest, I don't blame them for it. In some ways it looks like it and it could end up being that, you know, as you kind of laughed at, at the rules and laughed at what happened to whether or not they willingly broke them or then, or they were broken and then they sort of but not really reported them, it definitely looks like you're better off breaking the rules and then like half-assedly taking the banner down than you are reporting the issues, having an APR problem like UConn did or whatever it may be, and then not even having a chance at competing. Um, and I, I think that that... that from what I can tell is what they're most angry about. And to be honest, I don't blame them. And I think that, that all the all the nonsensical, you know, Syracuse fundamentally changed the, the rules of, and, and bent time and all the other crap that I've been reading on Twitter. I, I think there's, there's some merit to it as much as I don't like it to push it. Yeah, I, I think mean, Syracuse... Oh, sorry, Sean. <laughs> Well, I, I, just real quick, I, I agree with you, John. I think Syracuse. I think it's both. I think, I think Syracuse is definitely trying to play the game. Uh, you know, if, if SU was undefeated at this point, I don't know if we'd be talking about this right now. But I, at the same time, I think that the timing of everything, you, you know, October for the meetings, the season was effectively underway at that point anyway with practice. I don't know if it's reasonable to think that the NCAA was going to, going to move in a direction or if Syracuse is going to move in a direction that would be feasible for Syracuse to say in October or early November that, yep, you know, we'll take the tournament ban this year. It just, and it didn't really add up to me. I think, you know, it's really weird that it happens when it happens, but that's on Syracuse, A, for breaking the rules, and for B, trying to ultimately, you know, get one by. But it's also on the NCAA for the timing of all of it. It's just not, it's, it's, I hate saying this because SU did break rules and Bayheim broke rules for whatever, you know, culpability he has. But it's, I don't think it's feasible to say that Syracuse is wrong for doing this because, you know, it's a part of this and to the way it's part of this, there's a lot of moving factors to where we are right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, what the last couple of years have taught us about the, is that the NCAA is this, is basically a toothless, uh, organization that has ever-changing, ever-warping um, decision-making and rules and violations and all that stuff, and all of those things are, are can be changed after the fact, and it's just, you know, it's very much that I think people are realizing, um, you know, the NCAA only has power because we give it power, 
it's not like um you know it's not an entity that people really respect you know it's it's an entity that we have to put up with because of the system we have and i think that what Syracuse and some other schools are, are starting to realize, based on the way everything played out, you know, in, in the in the scandals before this, is that you can basically control to a point what the NCAA does, and you may even be doing giving them, you know, doing them a favor by by doing that because they've got so many things that they have so much ground to cover. So many, you know, they're looking into so many schools because of their arbitrary rules and um you know and and so you're you're kind of like making it a little bit easier on them in a way by just taking the hit yourself and uh you know because because really you know the postseason ban so so that's you know there's money there so there's value in that taking away wins whatever uh, we really uh, the only reason that would matter to us is because of Bayheim and trying to get to a thousand but but ultimately who cares um you know taking away scholarships Syracuse can work around that every school works around that and um and, and that's about it what you know what else can they really do and i think um i think you this is going to become a common thing I, Syracuse isn't the first school to do this but i think it's going to become the norm and and the trend of all right we screwed up uh, we're going to go ahead and, you know, self-impose some stuff that may or may not be the harshest possible penalty, but it's enough so that you don't have to worry about coming down on us and spending more time on it. You can just move on to the next thing. And with that, I want to welcome Jared to the conversation. He's waiting in the queue for a little bit. Yeah, hey, guys. Thanks. Good to join you. Yeah, glad to have you. Think, What's uh, up, Jared? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yeah, I know. it's uh, It's been good. I, John, I would say that maybe uh, I'm the curse of this whole thing. Ever since I've joined Noon's Magician, uh, you know, everything kind of kind of goes goes chaotic here. So, now, I mean, I was more depressed in nation when the Bernie Fine went down, but it wasn't shortly after that I joined Noon's Magician the following year. So, it's been, it's been a crazy three, four-year ride for me in the Syracuse basketball program uh when it comes to covering it and and that the hammer finally dropped it's just interesting to talk about and see how everything kind of has kind of fallen into place the only thing i've been listening for a little bit and i do want to add to sean's comment about uh you know the incidentally not having teeth and sort of uh you know we've kind of put this place and i would say the one reason why at least uh, college athletics has put the NCAA in places because we're still holding us that amateur status, and we need a watchdog to kind of make sure, you know, that you know, I don't know how you feel about that, like that that sort of amateurish aspect of college sports stays in place. And, but the problem with that watchdog is it's flawed. I mean, its leadership is bad. Its resources aren't that good. I mean, looking over hundreds of schools. Uh, every year for violations and it doesn't have the manpower to deal with, you know, even if they get a hint of any investigation, uh, they have to go in and it takes forever for it to happen. And I mean, there's, you know, dozens of investigations going at a time. They don't even have the manpower to look into everything. And it's a watchdog that's failed. We've, we've, it's, you know, we 
see with the Miami situation, how it's sort of corrupt in that area. Um, with the Penn State debacle, what happened there, uh, and it's still happening. Uh, and it's really recently it's just lost a lot of credibility. So we, you know, there's two belief systems going on right now where we still have to have the sensible way looking over everything because there are a majority of college athletic fans still want to keep that amateur status. And because they want to keep that amateur status, they need a watchdog. But the issue is the watchdog is, is you know, is, is flawed. And that's why there's a lot of us, <laughs> I'm in the category of it, that thinks that this whole thing needs to be overhauled because it's not working correctly. And this is why it, this is all happening the way it is, at least in Syracuse's aspect, because, you know, they're taking matters in their own hands. Maybe Jens has only had a little bit to do with this, but uh, overall, Syracuse, you know, if it comes down to the Antibody didn't have anything to do with this. Overall, Syracuse is taking actions in their own hand because they're sick of waiting on it. They're they're sick and tired of it's been years now, three or four years, that they've had to wait and wait, or even you can go back to seven, eight years, uh, on what the NCAA is trying to find. And finally, I think Syracuse has a good idea of what's happening, uh, and so they've, they've taken action, and that's where we're at right now. See, to me, I kind of think that that part of the, and, and again, this is why I, I do kind of buy into the plea bargain deal, the NCAA really could not take any more black eyes. Um, even, so to me, I feel like part of the plea bargain, along with missing the postseason this year as opposed to next year, is that SU got to take the lumps. I mean, we've taken a ton in recent years, I think. But I, I feel like part of the part of the issue was you know, us really, you know, being handed everything. And I think this was part of, I think, what happened with Penn State where they didn't have that, that benefit on the back end like we have here where, okay, you missed the tournament in a year, you weren't going to make it anyway. And in return, you know, your top five team stays intact and you can compete for a championship next year. Um, you know, Ohio State never really got that payoff when they went undefeated a few years ago and couldn't compete in a bowl game. Uh, Penn State was paid back all those wins. And, and the scholarships is kind of a make good. Um, Miami, because they did a postseason ban for two straight years and were allowed to kind of be trotted out there as a whipping boy, when it was all said and done, there was nothing else to do. The only school that, that really never got that make good was 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 USC, um, who just was completely leveled for, for virtually nothing. Um, and, and you're only seeing now, I mean, look at what they did yesterday with with the full allotment of scholarships on National Signing Day. I mean, USC is going to return to what they were, which is a, a national power, um, now that they're they're finally ready to go with that roster. But it's amazing that, you know, for eight, nine, ten years, USC couldn't recruit a full class and couldn't compete in the postseason as, you know, as they were constructed, all because of was a little bit of money changing hands with one player, Um uh, so, so I think that now the way the NCAA is going to do things, and it may seem wrong on its face, is let's trot out one of our member institutions, let's make them look bad, let's make us look like the good guys, and in return we'll give them, you know, payout X. So for us, again, it's it's going to the tournament next year, which, to be honest, I'm fine with.
You know, I, I think ultimately the um, it, it's just you know going back, Jared. You were talking about how you know they're they are the watchdog that that is needed if you're if you have amateur status, and that's totally true. But they're also the ones in charge of the money, at least at, you know at, at the grand level and the, the and all of that. And that's where I think it gets really hairy. And um, I mean, if you wanted to have a discussion of like what what should the NCAA be or what should be the governing bodies over college athletics? You could be here all night talking about how it should be because the whole, you know, the whole system is, is built on, um, you know, basically this house of cards that is when it was created was not created for what we have now, which is multi-million dollar TV contracts and um, players playing, you know, not getting money and their coaches making millions of dollars. It just wasn't set up for that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just uh, until there is some sweeping change in college athletics, I, I just, it's just one of those things you're, we're going to have to put up with. And, um, you know, uh, when you have a program like Syracuse, it's it's hard to deny that uh, improprieties and violations and all those things aren't going to happen. I mean, they probably happen all the time, and and it's just nobody knows about them, or you know they're not big enough to really be noticed. But um, it, it's just almost like the cost of doing business. And you know, I've seen some people say, you know, oh, Jim Beheim, uh, two postseason bans, like two big NCAA things over his career, and it's like, you know what? In a way, for thirty whatever years he's been coaching here two major NCAA things, you could make the argument that there should probably be more. Uh, you know, and and it's actually he's actually done a, a decent job of, of making sure there aren't more. So I don't know. Uh but um you know if Syracuse does come out of this with not much more than, than the postseason ban and maybe a, a scholarship or, or two lost, I, I think you'd take it as a win and you run. I will say this about Beheim though that it is interesting. I'm. I, we've talked about this today a little bit online. That I'm the biggest Bayheim apologist under the sun. A lot of people, especially up here, feel as though you know that he is not the NLB be all. When in all reality, you know, SU, the Dome, Big East, ACC, all this stuff would not be without Jim Bayheim. I, I firmly believe that. But that '92 investigation and then subsequent downfall. It was widespread, but it was definitely, you know, Beheim had an, uh, a big part in that. And then when you look at what's happening now, it's it's not just, well, this happened with, you know, this little impropriety or whatever. It's 2012, maybe 2013, 2010, 2007. It's a pretty long run of issues. And reportedly, or at least rumoredly, it goes back maybe even a decade within just a basketball program some big, some little, but it's like, I don't know, there's a part of me that's, uh, I'm not flipping on Beheim because I still am all on board with what he's done. And I understand that, like you said, Sean, with what happens in college basketball and, and, and athletics and whatever, that there's issues and they don't always have to fall onto the coach. But it is kind of interesting that these two major issues are major. You know, they're they're really big. The 92-93 year I lived through it. It was weird, and this is weird now. And, and not, not to say anyone else hasn't, but it just in living through it then, it was weird. And it's kind of, I don't know, I, I feel like I am changing my perception a little bit on Beheim 
given his role. We all know he supposedly runs kind of a loose program where he lets men be men or whatever it is. But at some point, like, it's like, Shashevsky hasn't dealt with this at all. And and maybe that's not, you know, that's the greatest example, but there's something to it. I don't know. There's, I, I'm not, I don't know how to articulate it yet, but it's rattling in my brain that I just can't get over that this is happening again. And it's just ultimately, and it's not a great descriptor, but it's weird. Yeah, I'm just going to jump in real quick because I, I like everything that's going on right now. At least the discussion was, and I want to say, at least jump on what Matt's saying in the sense that, well, Matt, maybe the reason why Jim Beheim's had to do sort of what he's had to do is because, you know, we always talk about Jim's legacy when it comes to, man, he's done so much at Syracuse, and it's in Syracuse. How does he get these guys to come to the school? And how does he, you know, how why, how is he so successful so so long? You know, he's only had a couple of years where he's missed a tournament or the team hasn't been competitive. Um, and maybe it just comes down to a lot of it that this is how he's learned to adapt since he's been at Syracuse, and this is how he coaches. He kind of probably blurs the line a little bit more than any other coach there there can be. And I mean, and a lot of a lot of stuff is going to pop up a lot more now because because he does stay, he has stayed at Syracuse for so long. I mean, a lot of his coaches in college basketball, other than Chesky right now, you know, jump around and they get. They jump here and there, and the NCAA really can't keep up with a lot of these guys and what they're doing. But in a sense that it is sometimes a lot easier to keep up with a coach like Jim Beheim since he's been here for so long because over time stories build up at a place because you've been, you know, been there for so long. And, you know, over time, the reason why he's probably been so successful at Syracuse, you know, where it's, I mean, what is it now? It's freaking freezing cold outside right now. How can you get any basketball recruit to go to Syracuse, New York, the snow capital of the world? It's because he probably blurs the line here and there every once in a while. And, you know, when it cut, and this is in every once in a while, like Sean mentioned, it nips him in the butt. And if the price he has to pay is a self imposed sanction every 20 years or so, uh, I think he'd take that. Overall, the last one though wasn't said. self-imposed. Not to not to interrupt, but no, no, the last no, no, one was not was self-imposed. Only, the last one was a giant right? investigation. Well, you know, I, and listen, I mean, I'm not 90, trying to argue. By 90, I'm not. By, 90, by, by 96, by 96, okay, they were in the final yes, four. They, yes, 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 and I'm not trying to act like I'm the end all be all by any stretch. But this is just stuff that I've been kicking around my head today. So in '92, that was a really like. That was a really big situation. It was way more widespread than just the program itself for basketball. But it was a really big deal at the time, and Syracuse was eliminated from the postseason before it could even start, before the season started, and it was national news, and you saw the Block S, and they talked about it everywhere, and everybody here was calling for Bayheim's head. And by the time 96 rolled around, it's absolutely true. Mike had the statistics today. You know, the program really didn't nosedive. But the thing is, Syracuse did kind of nosedive for Syracuse. And that's because of the scholarship restrictions, which were really important. That was a big deal back in the mid-90s. You couldn't get away from that story. And, you know, they got back to the tournament in 94, made the Sweet 16, eventually in 96 made the championship game. But that was a much different program. That was not the same program that we saw in 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91. You know, not to write off years, but 
it was a top ten program every single year, and it hit and it crushed it. And the thing is, now with these issues, I don't know if this will happen again or not, but it's not just simply like, I don't know if this is the cost of business when it comes to Bayheim because, you know, Tom Izzo doesn't have this, and as we said with Shashevsky, it doesn't happen. It's just, I don't know if I'm ready to just say, well, you know, it's Syracuse, it's not a great place to play, so you got to do what you got to do. You know, that just doesn't sit well with me right now. Uh, I, I disagree in a lot of sense, but go ahead. Yeah, it's fine. I understand your concerns. I do. And I'm not trying to argue at all with you. I'm not trying, you know, I'm, I'm just kind oh, of no, just, we're not arguing. this is almost like therapeutic for me just to say it, you know. I, I'm not saying I'm right, <laughs> right and you're wrong at all. I'm just saying it just, it, all of a sudden it hit me more today than yesterday that we've, I'm, you know, a lot of it, we've, we've been through this and it's weird to have it happen again. And it's weird that it's not just, you know, just like before, it's not just this one year. This, this goes back a ways and it's weird that, Beheim, and as you said, Sean, you know, he, that's just who he is. He doesn't really apologize for what he does and who he is. But it is strange that just like the first time around, this is not a one-year deal. This is a two-, three-, four-year-going-back deal. And it's like, man, even if the NCAA is trying to sniff around, why allow for it to sniff around, especially when you got hit the first time? Well, yeah, I mean, I – Go ahead, John. Sorry. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, you know, in the middle ground between what you guys are are saying is is what you know in that thing I wrote uh, today about how it, it would just go such a long way if Beheim would just stand up and and say, you know what, it it was on my watch. I'm in charge, and um, you know what, we screwed up. We're, it's not going to happen anymore. And I feel like like that that's it. He wouldn't even have to explain anything. He wouldn't even have to like go into it. But I think just doing that would be like this middle ground here, where where at least there would be an acknowledgement that he's been running this loose program when he really shouldn't have, because he went through the whole thing. And you're right, Matt. I mean, you look at those years, those late '80s, early '90s. Those were like elite Syracuse basketball teams, and if not for John Wallace making a run, the rest of the 90s were, were kind of a rough affair, uh, at least in, by Syracuse's standards. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that happens again for Syracuse, just based on who we have coming in. And it's a little bit of a different landscape now. But um, I, I just think ultimately that's his that's, – that's the thing that rubs people the wrong way. That's the reason people are easy to – to say they want him gone <clears throat> and it's the reason people are are easy to jump on him you know with the take and all that stuff because i'm sure I, he's already you know he was on his radio show tonight and he he's all about how you know people have no idea what they're talking about he's already on the we're the victims routine and i'm sure at his press conference after the pit game he's going to call out a reporter or two and it's going to become you know all that and and he's just going to go right past you know, taking any kind of ownership for this. And, and I think that's the frustrating thing. Whether you think you have to do this stuff to compete or whether you think, um, you know, he's just he's just running a, a loose program and uh, like a king over, overseeing his kingdom, uh, that's just, you know, that there's a middle ground that he's just not going to go to. I guess back to the discussion. Sorry, real quick. Just that it goes back to the discussion today that we had, you know, among the Troy Newton's absolute musician contributors today was the the 
maybe the best move that he could have done in this whole situation was become the martyr. I mean, if he does that, Nash locally, he he gets all the praise, and then nationally, it's something that has never been done before, and it, it, everything gets flipped on his head. But just like Sean says, Jim Beheim's not that type of person. He's not going to do that. I mean, even if he's still, you know, on his radio show defending himself to the end, that's just who Jim Beheim's going to be, wrong or right. But I mean, you could make the argument very well that if he was the martyr in this whole thing and he took it, took, he decided everything's on me. All right, I'll take whatever punishment you had, uh, and you know, blame me. This whole story would be completely different. Uh, but that's just not how, he, how he's in a role. He's too bad. Well, but the problem is, and, and I've said this before, internally and externally, why is it that a school that is known for its marketing communications prowess continues to let Jim kind of operate? I mean, I'm not going to go back to the Bernie Fine situation, but at the same time, like, Jim's going to be Jim, and that's great, and we love that in moments, but there's certain times where even even the President of the United States takes direction from other people in terms of, you know, what to say and how to position it and, and, and how to keep up appearances. And, I, again, we joked earlier, is this going to be the week that he finally figures out what we are and and then let's just see what happens next. I mean, this might be it. But it, it seems to me that, that there finally needs to be a check. Like, unless unless the word chancellor is in front of Jim's name, and even then, still should be beholden to someone. He can't fly around and check like this. And to hear, to hear a very brazen and, and kind of lax Jim Beheim on on his radio show tonight makes me fear that that nothing is learned. And, and this is why people are grasping onto this story so much. Because when you look at our extended periods of success, the late '80s, the early '90s, and, and this last kind of five, six years just so happen to coincide with, with our two big issues. And now two big black guys, but that's not something that, that everyone ha- that every single coach or program has on their resume. And uh, we're starting to toe into, and this is, this is uncharted for a private school, uh, for the mo- like outside of SMU and the, um, you know, death penalty football, but for a private school, we, we get ourselves into an awful lot of trouble and you could you go to these issues, the the football issues that were pretty much just swept under the rug in this report, the lacrosse issues um, back in the 90s. Like we're not exactly the cleanest program, and and I know that I'm going to get a lot of flack for that um, tomorrow. But it, everything, the things people are saying aren't false. I, I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, just to piggyback on, like, on that, and then we, you know, with Bayheim, the one thing I, I am dreading is that, uh, and you can see this in some of the statements that have come out so far, and it's kind of the unsaid thing in a lot of the statements, is that th- we're going to pin this on the players, like we're going to kind of do the whole, well, we had some bad apples kind of thing. <laughs> And I think, and I think that sucks. Like that's the thing that probably disappoints me the most because, like, we can sit here and make fun of Fab Mello and you know get mad at him for like, what went down that season. But Jim Beheim knows when Fab Mello comes to Syracuse, he's 
you know, way behind on English, and he's got to get help on that, and he's got to, you know, he's going to need tutors for classes, and he's going to need help adjusting to the, being a superstar, uh, you know, on a American campus where he's, like, the most recognizable person on campus, and everybody wants to hang out with him and be with him and go to bars with him and all that stuff. And, 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 and Jim Beheim knows all of this, and yet it all still happens. And I know Jim would, he would say, that's because I practice personal responsibility. And I respect that. But, and I, John, this is what you're saying, like, there's a point where personal responsibility and, like, taking on the thing yourself, you just need help. Like, people just need help, and they need to somebody to, to be there. And I think it's on Jim Beheim to know this player needs somebody on his hip all the time and this player needs somebody checking in with him to make sure he's making grades and uh i heard something about this player um you know doing something shady i need to nip that in the bud and like and you just get the sense that he's either he's so far removed he doesn't know what's going on until it's too late or he just takes that personal responsibility thing to an extreme and and here we are and 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 so he can stand up here and say, hey, I mean, he wouldn't say this, but, you know, in a way say, hey, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. It's these other guys who did it. Um, and everybody's, you know, throwing stuff at me, but, you know, dot, dot, dot. And so that's what, that's kind of what is pre-bumming me out is that it's going to – that's what it's going to turn into. So and that's kind of my you... point to the, the whole thing on this, going back to 92 – you know, when this all went down with and then, and it's not the same thing. I, I hate to keep trying to sound like the old guy with get off my lawn type of situations, but, you know, in 92, it was this, it wasn't, again, definitely not just the basketball program. It was widespread and it was very detailed, but it was kind of this laissez-faire attitude then. And it seems as though, and we've all read, you know, none of us are in the program, so we don't officially know, but we've talked to people, we've read, whatever, that we know he has this kind of hands-off approach and at some point, like, that can't just be, oh, well, it's standard Jim Beheim. He's a grump to the press, and he's got this laissez-faire attitude and, a you know, you be a, you know, you be you and be a man type of attitude. At some point, and I hate that I'm saying this, but it's like, God, just step up and be a coach. Like, these, this isn't a 2015 problem because it happened in 92 and 91 and whatever. So, you know, maybe – if you can't change, maybe we should change you type of thing for me right now. Yeah, and I I mean, I don't want, all I'm going to say is wow. Like talking to you guys and walk walking through this whole thing is, you know, I I I love Jim Beheim. I I am I've been there like through the press conferences when he went through the whole Purdy Fine thing and, you know, kind of really got to see who he really is. He's a great guy. Uh, personally, you can just tell he's a good guy. Personally, he's got a lot of good friends in the business. Uh, but I have to say, wow, in the sense that I feel that this is what Penn State, and I'm not attributing what you know what happened now, but this is what Penn State fans may have had a conversation with uh, before the whole, their whole thing went down. Like you're you're looking at a coach that is a legend, sort of does what he wants, uh, has this kind of laissez-faire attitude when it comes to, all he wants to do is coach 
basketball. Like that's what he wants to do, and he's really good at it. And he's just, you know he's one of the best in the business. But in this day and age, like you need it, you need to adapt. And it just seems that maybe Syracuse is at the turning point in the situ in this situation where they need to adapt and they need to think about. All right, we love this guy. He's been so good. And but you know what? Something's happening here, and we're getting all these warning signs where maybe, you know, it's a chance, this is a chance to maybe say, you know what, thank you, but, you know, maybe it's time for us to adapt because we're getting all these warning signs and you're not willing to. And, uh, I mean, this this has been an eye-opening conversation for me because everybody's making fantastic points. And I, I think... If we're going to move on after this whole thing, I mean, I don't know what we don't know uh, Behan's contract situation is, but if you're going to move on, I you obviously would say now is more, but it's you know sooner than sooner is better than later, and you know Mike Hopkins seems like the guy in a sense that he he kind of gets the the new generation of players when it comes to social media, when it comes to all this stuff that's going on. And you can keep the, the tradition of Syracuse basketball and kind of it just, it's just a very good conversation. I'm really glad everybody's having this conversation. And you, we're, we're all very respectful with Jane Beheim. Uh, she's all dealt with him in certain areas. Uh, but it's it's interesting to have, and it's good to have. And I'm glad every you know Syracuse fan – if you're listening to this podcast, it has the opportunity to look at everything in a different light. Oh, and, well, there's and, and always the outside here. chance. Always the outside yeah. chance Jim Beheim hears about this, and that's why we're all <laughs> prefacing what that's we say. My we name is Raul yeah. Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, just cra- it's just fantastic. No, I, I, I agree there, and I think it's it's interesting. It's interesting that we're having these conversations because of what we've witnessed at this point, uh, you know, obviously, like th- there was there was some real dread. I think I think in all of us when when the fine thing happened and when Jim reacted the way he did, and and it was it just so happened it was after the Paterno situation that it it, it seemed like that that was a recipe for disaster, and, and we we sailed through it and we got through it and we got to the Final Four and everyone was happy, but now we're here, and and, and I feel like we're I mean. Ben uh, Narowski and I were talking about it on Twitter after the T-shirt thing came out. It it, it was a very creepy callback to Penn State. Not to compare what's happening here to what happened to Penn State, but there is a certain there is a cult of Jim Beheim. I mean, I don't think Paterno ever had the you know why don't you play zone crowd, <laughs> you know, at Penn State or, or anything equivalent <laughs> to it. There's enough people in the Syracuse fan base that that hate Jim Beheim for whatever reason, um, unrelated to this. But I, I I saw that shirt and that was the first thing that came to mind was like oh god like that there the last you can't galvanize people about your wrongdoing and that's that's what kills me here and that's what I hope I hope that somebody steps in and either tells Jim hey let's just cool it and let's ride this out or like having conversations like this tells me that we're not them and, 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 and reinforces what I what I hoped about our fan base before that. 
But, but again, I think we still have a long ways to go, and I, I, I hope I don't see safe cues being used on Twitter to describe this. And, and, and I just want I just want us to, to take our punishment, whatever it is, and, and walk away and, and, and deal with the fact that in some way, shape, or form, we messed up, messed up just like anybody else. All of us at our, our, our jobs would have to do, and that's it. Accountability now. <laughs> <laughs> and again, my name is Raul Lopez, Mr. Behan. <laughs> no, I think thank you for your contributions, Raul. <laughs> no, I, I think You're it's, a value it's, it's, it's at the point. Right, it's at the point now, though, like in the sense that, I mean, Behan's been here for so long, and he's done so much, just like Paterno did. That you know, it's funny. Like Jeff Jeff uh, Goodman from the ESPN was saying, like I don't see that you know Beheim's going anywhere. He's going to come back with a vengeance, and he's going to want to coach for two, three more years. Well, like you look back and you look at like what Paterno did in the sense that, and it, like that's what he wanted to do. Like he every year he had a bad year. He's like, I'm coming back. I'm going to go on a blaze of glory. And it's just like you look back now in hindsight, and you're just like, you know what? Everyone loves you. Everyone respects you. Like, you just, at some point, when everything cut, is, everything's pointing at you, maybe you should just step back a little bit and say, you know what? If I, if I think about it now, maybe now is not a bad time. And it's just, I'm not saying he should resign tomorrow or maybe next year, but there should definitely be thoughts about where he should go, it's a lot. It should be a lot more now. It shouldn't be two, three years from now. It should be the, the conversation should be coming up uh, with his family saying, "All right, well, maybe, maybe we should really have some good thoughts about this." And I think tonight's conversation was a good way for at least Syracuse fans to think about that. Especially if you were, you know, as Matt was saying, a Bayheim defender for years and years. Yeah, it's weird for me to to have this this line of thought, but. And during the, and the Bernie Fine thing is so far and away different than this that, you know, I can't even equate the two. To me, it's just simply, you know, what happened then is happening kind of now in a different way, but it's also the same. And it's just it, at some point, you know, I, I just I never really like the person that says, you know, the world is falling around me, but it's not my fault. Like at some point it is your fault. And kind of, you know, as Sean said, just step up and admit it. That would be huge. He will not do that. We know he will not do that. And it's so hard for me to just sit back and once again defend, uh, you know, this. It's just, it's weird all the way through, but ultimately it's like you have to take accountability for what's happening under your watch. If you, if it's not you that's doing the rules breaking, you're allowing for it. Just like back in the early 90s, it's happened again. And it's just, it's just too, too weird, too strange. So I guess before we close out here, um, Let's go around the uh, the room, as it were. Um, start, Sean, starting with you, uh, is this the end of the penalties, or, or or do we see more? I think the NCAA is going to want to at least acknowledge that they have some sort of say here, and um, depending on who was you know, which players are involved and when they played and, and all that stuff, we might see a couple wins vacated. 
Uh, I think scholarships is probably the place where they're going to want to make an impact. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a scholarship or two go away for a couple of years. And, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, those things usually work themselves out, but uh, but we'll see. But, yeah, I would expect a little bit more from them, and but they'll accept this year's postseason ban, and I don't think they'll add to that. Matt? Yeah, I agree with Sean. I, I think it's just like we opened talking about how if, if Syracuse didn't do this on a whim or a guess, it's a, it still is a gamble of some sort, but I would assume it's a, a calculated risk. NCAA tournament bans probably off the table now for future years. I do think it'll end up being scholarships. And just like we all saw back in the, in the mid to early 90s, whether it's just a couple or not, that does have far-reaching effects. And especially with what we've seen lately, being a you know a one two seed top five top ten, you know next year is kind of the outlier. But in future years, if SU is hit pretty hard with scholarship losses, expect something totally different. It, 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 you know, twenty wins yes, tournaments yes, but not quite the same level. It's just not. So if that's ha- if if that is what happens, I I kind of see it happening. And at the same time, prepare yourself because it's a totally different game. I'm like the most negative person in the world tonight, and I don't mean to be. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's 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 okay. It's, it's it's all right to be negative just when all this stuff breaks. So I guess it's my turn. But I know I wrote the piece today that this is probably could be it for Syracuse. Uh, I think it's the more reality is this is probably it for a postseason ban. I think that uh, luckily Syracuse is probably going to go unscathed, and I don't see the SLA going reaching multiple years in this investigation, uh, unless they're really pissed off. But I think they have more on their plate than what they have to deal with, and that's was the bargaining plea uh, with this, you know, self-imposed ban. Um, I I wouldn't rule out maybe a scholarship here or there in, you know, maybe 2017, uh, take it away. I think the NCAA is going to keep the 2016 kids all right. They don't want to hurt those kids that have already committed. Uh, but down the road, I think you could see some scholarship here and there taken away. Uh, but I think that's about it. I think, you know, as we've talked about the NCAA throughout the, the, the night, is they are a lot on their plate coming up, especially when it comes to college basketball and the academic front. So they got a lot of needs to get through before they figure out what kind of punishment here and there. That's, that's, that's my opinion. Um so I, I think postseason-wise, that's it. You might see a scholarship loss, but I think that's about it. I mean, vacating wins, they can vacate wins, but does it really matter? I mean, that's the best-case scenario. They take away a, you know, win. I mean, I guess that would hurt Jim Behind, but, you know, who cares in the sense of that? Yeah, I, I think I agree with all that. I think given what they have to deal with, I mean, there's a 20-school investigation. North Carolina is, I mean, going to be leveled. Uh, in, in some way, shape, or form, whether that's in scholarships or when vacating or whatever it is, something has to happen there. I, I just don't see us as that big fish, and I feel like we've already served at least part of our sentence with, with this PR blitz for 48 hours almost. Well, 24 at this point, but it's going to continue. Um, I, I think that we're going to see maybe a scholarship loss in 2017 and 2018, and I wouldn't doubt it if we see... Um, all the wins involving Bad Mello and or James Sutherland gone. 
so that 2012, I mean, and of course, you know, Big East fans are, are, are overjoyed now because what that means is that that 17-1 and season uh, in Big East play is completely wiped uh, from the record books. And, yeah, but that, and I'm means sure it means, like, it, that means nothing, though. Like, in no, it means nothing, it really does nothing to us. No, it means nothing to us, and it doesn't mean anything to Jim Beheim. But the, the big, I mean, you talk to any Big East fan right now, th- that league would love nothing more than to, than to completely wipe that season out of their memory. And, I mean, that's fine. They can do whatever they want. But I, I have a feeling that, that the ceremony of it will will bring that about. Well, I would, you guys, this is a good therapy session. I appreciate everything, guys. We've talked through a lot of things, and, you know, maybe every Syracuse fan is going to hate us by now. So, I mean, after this, so it's going to be nice. Agreed. All right, well, guys, I appreciate everyone hopping on tonight. Uh, this will go up in the morning for those listening either now or when we put the post up on newsmagician.com. I'd like to thank Sean, Matt, and Jared for coming on to Troy Noon's Absolute Podcast. Uh, be sure to rate and review us on Block Talk Radio and or iTunes. It really does help us out. Um, obviously, the more ratings and listens and everything else we get, the higher we come up in sports results and search results and everything else. Um, all right. Go Orange, and let's, uh, let's weather this storm together, guys. We're always here together. <laughs> Go support <laughs> women's me. basketball. Yeah. Ah, there it is. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry, from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.